0: hello and welcome back you're listening to let's Grown out it's so nice to do the intro once again and i hope you all are doing well and safe and thanks for tuning in tonight we are joined by Stephen. hello there kwan gun from z tag i hear that you are uh working on a laser tag system for quads is that right
2: Yes, and that's actually one of many things we've done research and uh, yeah, uh, this is one of many branches, but I'd love to dive deep with you guys on that.
0: No worries, and I'm Jack, right until I fly, let's Welcome start back, the Jack. show.
1: Yeah, I don't know how long I've got in me, uh, but... <laughs> Jack's running on an empty tank, so our viewers okay. have to excuse him if he needs to uh step away, but um, yeah, let's let's dive in. You've got a, a whole bunch of stuff on uh, Z-Tag, or I guess Z-Tag, hailing from Yeah America <laughs> Yeah, American
2: English, we call it Z-Tag, but <laughs> you could call it Z-Tag. That's cool, too.
1: So you want to kind of explain where it came from? Because it looks like this has been a long and winding path to get here.
2: Absolutely. Um, I've only been working on it for about six years. And prior to that, my lighting company, you see the logo in the back. Uh, we've been in the themed entertainment world for the past um, 13, 14 years now. Uh, so my, my first company was actually a lighting company uh, for theme parks. So we design interactive technologies that go into all major parks across the world. And because I was working on these uh, interactive uh, tech, it kind of spun off into this uh, this piece of gear where I could actually get the guests to interact with the show uh, through uh, infrared. And the initial product was actually this um, this gag flashlight you would walk through a haunted house with. So you think it's a normal flashlight. You're pointing at different objects, yeah. um, but we can actually shut it off right before we scare you. We're oh, using nice. infrared beacons inside the, the walkthrough to, uh, to trigger the effects that, uh, that are in the lights. We can turn them off and even have it vibrate in your hand.
1: Um, and is the flashlight triggering like jump scares and things? It, and so it can on?
2: too, yes. The second version, it also beacon outwards. So in some scenes, it's almost like a shooting gallery where you point it at an object. It will get the thing to pop out. So it was a very back and forth type of thing, and we created this product to make shows be less so of a just a walk and see type of show. We wanted people to be fully immersed in it, like a real video game. And so the logical next step was, okay, how can I actually get guests to interact with other guests, not just between the show and the guests? So we're trying to bring people into it much more like an immersive video game. Um, So over the years, we developed a. The next product which was a uh, zombie tag product and that's actually where the z originally came from Hmm. Um, but right now we actually don't say it's zombie because there's so many other purposes even like z for the vertical axis right Uh, Right. so it kind of works out but the initial game was you have some people with uh, red badges which are zombies and everybody else green badges uh, which are humans and it was almost like a social experiment where we would put everybody into a room and then just see how quickly the infection can spread. And the largest game I hosted was 600 players in a 10-story building in St. Louis. Uh, it was like a big party we sponsored. And um, let me tell you, like, within 10 minutes, everyone was infected. Everybody was red. So we essentially so, simulated COVID.
1: Yeah, so how do the badges work? Well, you said you had red and it, green it was, badges, but what do the badges do?
2: Yeah, so these badges had um, basically a tiny little PIC processor with an RGB light on it, and it had infrared transmission and reception. So just really simple. It was like a bare bones circuit board. Um, you might be able to even just, if you look up ZTag on Google, you might be able to find some of the old badges. Um, and they were sold really cheap. It was just basically a printed circuit board with a little sticker on there. Um, and it was like a, a, like a trade show souvenir we'd hand out. Um, but what was really unique about that was, um, I started seeing some of the psychological impact I had on the players. Um, Hmm. one time we hosted this game and this, this guy came to me and he was like, thank you so much. I've never been approached by so many women in my entire life. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You can actually use this as a, like an icebreaker. Um, and then fast forward another year, I hosted this game at a comic convention. And there was this boy named Logan, he was probably nine or 10 at the time. And I just remember him playing this game for four days straight, nonstop, about six hours a day. And I'm like, whoa, I've never seen a kid just so active and engaged in this game. Like, it's it's just a dumb blinking light, really, but he was very engaged. And it wasn't until the last day that I met his dad, um, that I found out something really interesting about Logan. His dad told me that his uh, uh, like his son is normally not like this. His son is actually normally really shy and not engaging because he gets bullied at school and it's hard for him to make friends. But somehow we put this like video game into real life and it got him to come out of his shell and he was like engaging with people. And, and that was kind of my aha about five or six years ago. I'm like, wow, okay, if it has this much impact, I think we have the potential to really bridge the digital world that kids or other players already love with a really physical and social type of game so right. we started diving deep into developing a much more robust version of it and then fast forward to COVID times which meant no more face-to-face interaction um i personally was always interested in drones um uh, and so i was like random spitballing like what can i do to like make something interesting so i ended up sending this this version uh, of one of our latest products to rotor riot, I'm like, hey, what would happen if you just strap this to drones and see what happens, right? And they they made an episode out of it, and it seemed like it got a decent amount of traction, and that led us to uh, diving into a, a drone specific version of the uh, of the product, which is, you know, what you see now, uh, which is a little circuit board here.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's gone from being it looks like an armband with the Z Tag human yes. version. Almost like a large wristwatch that you stick to an arm and I'm guessing it just fires a constant stream in the forwards direction, or all around the person or something?
2: Yeah, it's basically like, uh, we call it gunless laser tag because it essentially uses similar tech as the laser tag, but by removing the guns out of it, you're no longer trying to aim and shoot an individual, you're just trying to get someone by proximity. So this, instead of like a very narrow beam, shooting a long distance, it's more like a very wide shotgun beam at a close distance. So we just tune it so when two players are within about two meters or so, um, the tagging
1: happens. Okay. And with the drone one it looks like you've got the the beam on the front, but you've got mm-hmm. the collector actually on the rear of the drone. Correct. So you've got to like yes. get into a dogfighting position and get behind someone. Absolutely, and
2: that's actually what we learned was wrong with just strapping this to a drone because uh, on the video for Rotor Riot, they had to have it facing a camera so you could see what the, the readout is. But then your sensor is facing backwards and you're also shooting backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you looked at the first episode, you'll realize the only time they were able to tag each other was when like two drones just collided and landed on top of each other and the signal oh, bounced. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it wasn't actually shooting forward. So that was the most obvious thing we had to do was to flip the, uh, the emitter onto the other side so it's
1: actually shooting forward. So it looks like you've gone the whole hog and you've got injection molded parts and everything for this then.
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, uh, it depends on which product. Uh, the drone stuff, like we we 3D print the, the housing just to make it you know, flexible and uh, expendable in a way. We know it's going to crash. Um, the, the reason why we made it into this form factor was I realized in order to have a good experience, it needs to um, have kind of like a, a readout but I've tried analog systems and with the lights in front of the camera, it's just so horrible. Like you can't tell the difference between the different colors, um, the resolution is low. So we designed it for an HD system, uh, but at the time, this is a year and a half ago, um, you just didn't have access to go into the, the OSD for the HD system. So that's why we were forced to strap this in front of the camera. Otherwise I would have really wanted it to be just part of the stack, it's all protected and then just feed info into
1: the OSD. So right now it just needs like a five volt and ground from the, from the flight controller or something like that? Uh,
2: we, we made it. So, um, like one of my initial thoughts on this design was how can we make it as adoptable as possible? Meaning that very low friction, anyone with a standard quad should be able to strap this on and uh, without soldering. You know, if you have to solder to F, uh, flight controller, that means you have to open up your quad and, you know, get access okay. to it. So instead, this will take, I believe, from five to 30 volts. So you could put it on most batteries and we just give you a little uh, balance lead thing. So this just clips to the other end of your battery. Um, usually you're, you know, you got a dangly uh, loose balance lead anyways. from Sorry your. So if you could
1: uh, just give us a close up on that one. Yeah. So we have... A device with two holes that looks like it screws onto, is that the front standoffs or rear standoffs?
2: Uh, So these will be the, yeah, the front standoffs on your quad. So So there's uh, two
1: holes and they they screw to the front standoffs. And then that gives you a display that you can read through your camera. And then a wire comes from that, which has a balance lead connector. So you attach that onto the battery. And I'm guessing it's got a counterpart that goes on the rear, which is a collector of some sort. Uh, well, on actually,
2: no. The uh, it's all it's all in one. Oh, both so both. the the receiver is on the backside of the circuit board, oh, cool. facing okay. down. So that way, for the most part, is pretty exposed. As long so as there's just a two screws to
1: fit it. Then two screws and attach the balance lead, and you're off. So yeah, people could arrive at a match and not even have this pre-installed. They just need to take out two bolts underneath the front two standoffs, screw that's it onto correct. the bottom of the front two standoffs, and a five-inch, and, and off they go.
2: Yeah, it it takes about five minutes. And actually the installation is not the most time consuming. It's more coordinating the pilots to launch at the same
1: time to play the game. Mm. Okay, so how do you coordinate that? How do you track scores and stuff as well?
2: Well, the the scoring is actually stored in here. So this is very similar to Mario Kart. So you have five lives to start instead of three. Mm -hmm. We found having five lives uh, makes it last a little bit longer. And then uh, each time you get hit, uh, you may lose a life until you run out. And then that means, you know, you're no, no longer emitting and you come back down. Um, and these also have a wireless transmission, which means when I start the game, uh, whoever wants to start it, they just press a single button and it does a countdown timer for all the players. And on the countdown, initially you'll see the, the lights kind of blink uh, sequentially and uh, just kind of like a you know, uh, you starting timer for a, a race yeah. And once it goes to the bottom it does a strobe. that means everybody's time to take off and start uh, getting into the action
1: Okay, and do you have any kind of uh, scoreboard or anything for pe- bystanders who might be spectating?
2: Uh, I've done it in prototype. I don't have it as a product uh, this okay. system. It does keep score. So once you land um you could look at the blink rate for uh, for right. the score, and it'll tell you how many hits you've had. Um, but it's certainly transmitting that. And so in uh, in R and I, I basically reprogrammed one of these since it has a display to actually show the scoreboard.
0: What what is that?
2: So this is our human version of the game, which is That's got a uh,
1: be better display.
2: Yeah, it has a display. It has the same chip, so they could talk to each other. And so I just repurposed
1: it to actually give me a so score readout. For audio listeners, the human version of the display is a, like a small project box with a screen on the front and three buttons. There's an armband attached on the back. So someone can wear this on their arm and it looks like you've got a, a pretty decent little, uh, OLED or LCD screen on the front. Yeah, about, it's just a, a standard
2: size. yeah, two inch LCD screen
1: there. Excellent. Okay. So any plans to release that as a kind of, uh, adjudication device?
2: Um that's much further out just because I don't see an immediate product market fit yet. Like sure. can I do it? Yes, but is it worth my time to do it? Currently not, just because even this product, uh, it's very low volume in sales. It's more of a side project. Uh, okay. uh just just being completely honest. Um, because my main focus is actually getting the the, the human system out. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm in the process of raising capital to turn this into a um uh, into a consumer product. So, so my main, you know, focus has been the human game. This, the reason why I've been very fascinated with this, um, is actually, uh, so I'm a technologist. I'm kind of looking at long-term trends. The long-term trend is video games are going to come to real life, right? You've, right? you've seen, you know, ready player one is going to be like an eventual scenario where you have that kind of level of AI uh, or, uh, uh, augmented AI. reality, yeah. AR. Yeah. Um, But one of the things to do that is if you have co-located people running around, whether they're they're running around or flying a drone, um, high definition wireless video transmission, low latency is going to be very important going forward. And this is why I've spent so much time on this, because this is kind of like drones is at the cutting edge, pushing that particular need. Uh, Video games haven't currently pushed that need um, because people are perfectly happy staying at home playing on VR. But once we want to get people outside, eventually that high definition, low latency wireless is going to be very critical.
1: So what have your experiments uh, shown you so far? There's a number of systems, they're all vying. Some are already going obsolete as we speak and it's all over the place.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm not in the market to develop those systems because I think it's an eventuality somebody will, Uh, but I'm always keeping tabs on what the state of the art is. And right now, you know, just based on uh, uh, the community, I I see these different digital systems and they're being um, uh, jailbroken, essentially to allow us to tap into the the MSP protocol and, you know, uh, generate OSD elements. So I think that was a big breakthrough because prior to that, if DJI is completely closed, the only thing we could do is really just stick this in front of your camera.
1: Mm. So you're looking for kind of the lowest common denominator, I guess, which yeah. is some sort of MSP driven DisplayPort or Canvas mode that you can hijack. You can, yeah. and I saw you make some posts where you were talking about, oh, can I buffer the commands going to right. an MSP DisplayPort device and then yeah, inject yeah. my own commands in there? And That's how feasible right. is that? Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm trying to just take the lowest hanging fruits. Uh, I don't want to be doing anything that someone else eventually is going to do. You know, we want to be able to add our own elements. But once we do it, I think it opens up a lot of creative outlets for other applications to come in because high definition, low latency video, like that's just, that's not just for drones that could be for so many different things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, at the very least, a system like this would also be a lot of fun on uh, radio-controlled ground vehicles as well. Uh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a little version mocked up. Just you could tape this to the top of a RC car, and you could just tag each yeah, other that way. Line of sight. Around,
1: find yeah, a, exactly. An empty basketball court or something, and just go crazy.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Nice. Yeah. So I, I saw you talking on uh, the beta flight forums, Betaflight forums, depending on which side of the Atlantic we <laughs> are, and uh, yeah. The the idea resonated with me, at least, and and I was wondering if this could potentially open up a lot of UI development because there's your product, um, FPV Combat is also interested in this, and I think you've got a kind of relationship Mm -hmm. with those guys already. And then on the racer side, there's people who are interested in getting display output from things like lap timers so they can see how their times are improving without taking the goggles off or without listening very carefully for this audio prompt that's hard to make out at a busy event. And and so I think there's some sort of opportunity there for developers to perhaps either allow products to inject MSP directly, which might turn into a kind of free for all, or at the very least offer a couple of customizable fields. Like you could have a user one and user two field that you could show like ammunition and lives, or you could show lap times and things like this and place those on the UI without having to hack them in into another field. Like, I've yeah. got a little patch that hacks data into the the craft name field, but that really is just an ugly way of getting to that conclusion because what you actually want to do is to have a customizable data field that your product can can use in the same way as, I don't know if you're familiar with Betaflight, but there's mm-hmm. custom user modes. Right. So if you want to, like, toggle a firework so it launches off the quad or something and you put a relay mm-hmm on one pin, then you can use pin I/O, and you can have a toggle off that and set it to toggle off a switch and boom, you know, activate some, some device based on that. And, and yeah. I think it'd be kind of neat to have something with, with an OSD field. So I know, oh, I'm going to expand my OSD. I'm going to go and assign this to one of the user defined OSD fields or something, but we have to see how that goes. I think that there's a lot in the pipeline and there's some renewed interest around canvas mode as well i've i've noticed
2: it's, yeah that's yeah mode. i think canvas mode or just being able to customize the display at all um yeah is a huge breakthrough you know especially given the the past two months of development with the new hd system and the fact that we're able to actually crack open the system and like mm. put our own things in there that that that's just that's huge
1: yeah yeah it's a lot of fun i i've um I enabled the MSP OSD patch on DJI to to give it a go. That's yep, I,
2: I got it working on this. So uh, in a few days, I'm going to see if I can actually buffer some output and uh, start putting things on the display. I'll,
1: I'll let us know. Yeah, it'll be intriguing. I wonder what will happen if you have a constant stream of output. Like, uh, at what point can you actually inject something if the line's busy all the time? Have to well, I see um, pans out.
2: You see this I, I i've already i've been tapping into the signal and i see there's actually quite a bit of uh, empty space in between the packets so i i'm hopeful that i can inject something without it disrupting too yeah. many things
1: you just got to tell your users not to enable every single osd element you know like the yeah. beginner the beginner quad yeah. user when you look and every inch of the screen oh, yeah. is covered with <laughs> osd elements yeah
2: or i mean we we could just Disable the ones that we don't think are necessary. You know, we'll, we'll we'll give you your battery readings. We'll give you some of the basic readings, but at the end of the day, we
1: since it has to pass through us, All right. we yeah, control yeah. exactly what goes out. You can just filter it out. Yeah, yeah, it's very smart, very interesting, Quan. Very interesting indeed. That's that's a it's quite a development. That's cool. What's your take on this, Jack?
0: um I'm just I am really curious how durable that thing is on the front of your quad. Oh, Oh, it's not,
2: (laughs) that's why we have to protect it. And this is also Uh, why the MSP is so significant because it allows us to make this part of the stack instead of sticking it out like a Pinocchio's mm -hmm. nose. Um, So yeah, we've gone through many of these boards. Um, i try to design the 3D print module to be as uh, robust and impact resistant as possible. But still, like even the one you've seen here, like the, you know, things are smashed on there. Um, The LEDs are smashed,
1: uh, what's that? PTG around the frame.
2: Yeah, this uh well, no, it's not P- uh, what TPU. is
1: um, Yeah, TPU. T- yeah. Oh, it's TPU and you're still yeah, it's TPU. Oh, you're your yeah, electronics not the actual print. The print is fine, it's the board that gives them.
2: Yeah, what ends up happening is during a crash this thing will actually flex and uh you know, the front of your quad might run into some yeah. of the components and pop off. So chips. that's
1: just going to go straight into carbon and metal and just be. Oops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um
2: yeah. It does happen, but there are plenty of sessions where it doesn't happen because you're trying to get behind people. You're not trying to just like yeah. joust and run them out of the air.
1: Well, hmm. you say you, I mean, maybe, maybe I want to do that.
2: Yeah, you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that could be up to you. Maybe I'll get but, an easier shot if I knock the guy on the floor first yeah yeah might be
0: worth uh getting some epoxy resin on uh, on those chips and leds well, you're just gonna have like to check yeah layer, the, you think.
2: well by the time you yeah. put it into the stack it solves all of those problems so yeah, you know, we only produce a true. limited amount of these boards um because i i know as a matter of time you know if we can get into the msp it just removes the whole need for this to be sticking out mm-hmm. Uh, so only your sensors need to be exposed, but even that can be tucked into the quad. Um, well that could be a little
1: LED board like Jack here designed to yeah, go on the exactly. back of the quad.
2: And actually I have here, you know, one of the things I demoed. Um, is, so actually Bob Ruby designed this frame. Uh yeah, look we, that guy. we try to make it as small and nimble as possible because if you're if it's smaller, then the impact's gonna be a lot more manageable. Um, and, and also What's you're with flying on the
1: position? Floor. That's a really odd camera position.
2: We had to put it here because this thing, I wanted this to stick out, right? Oh, right? If the camera were up in the front, then this thing would be further out. So we purposely so designed it for the audio
1: viewers, like, instead of having a camera in between the front standoffs, it's kind of mounted in the middle of the frame on a tower. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah but even this can be completely reconfigured once the, the Z tag board
1: is part of the stack. I'm glad you've kind of thought through all the permutations.
2: We've done a lot of experiments. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, last year during COVID, I I had no other business. So, you know, I spent a lot of time on this.
0: How did you get into quads?
2: Actually, uh, I've been in drones since 2003 before drones were even quads uh, through university. So, my initial research was on micro mechanical flying insects, so bio inspired robot flies. Um, and so th- this is a UC Berkeley research project. I was in the lab for about three years. Um, and my colleague, uh, Rob Wood, uh, he got his PhD at, at Berkeley and became a Harvard professor. And uh, he led the Robobee project and they ended up on Nature magazine, the front cover, I think maybe f- five years ago, they were finally able to get the, the device to take off. So I've, I've always been fascinated with micro flying vehicles. Um, and then fast forward to, you know, six or seven years ago, uh, you started seeing that becoming, uh, coming into the consumer space. Uh, and I started seeing, you know, just, um, the vantage point of the camera being able to go through objects that your norm- normal cameras wouldn't, and you get an out of body experience. I'm like, hell yeah, sign me up for that.
0: Um, there was a question, uh, from wild hogs. Um, is it possible playing between drones and airsoft players? Air
2: well... You wouldn't really want to be shooting uh, the, the drones, although you can, but we've done games between uh, humans uh, where they basically uh, strap this on uh, on their wrist and they're pointing at the quads. And then the quads have their uh, Z-tag uh, drone module and they're like circling around. Obviously the, the quads have an advantage, so they're, they're a lot more maneuverable.
1: I guess if the airsoft player had some kind of uh, infrared beam attached to the gun, mm-hmm. they could yeah. do something like that. Maybe they get more range, but more precision, yeah. which su- suits the human player. And the quads are much faster, so they could just be screaming around and you know yeah. circling people.
2: The, the thing that I think most people don't realize unless you actually do the development is the concepts of video games rarely do any of those land well in the real world. Like, people who are used to playing first-person shooters, they think they're a really good shot in real life. But Not right. so much. They like, if you wanted to take a... They can't yeah. move a gun. Yeah, so people are like, oh, can you make the laser sharper, narrow beam? What's the beam? No, we actually want to give you really big slop, like 30 degrees. Yeah. So you actually feel like you're hitting something effective instead of getting so frustrated that a laser-sharp beam, like, uh, you know, I, I did some gun training, and they say most uh, interaction happens within, like, Three to four meters, and most of the time, people still miss, even at that close oh. range with a, with a bullet. Okay.
1: Yeah. But I'd, I'd assume airsoft players have probably practiced a bunch. Well, you, you'd hope they have, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's um the the thing about this is, in order to get it adopted by a lot of people, we have to make it very low friction for the adoption and the gameplay. Uh, just putting it on the quad is not. Uh, the only barrier Uh, it has to give you a very good immersive experience and a good fun experience that is relatable to video games but since it's real life there's a lot of real life considerations that most players haven't even thought about
1: what type of areas work best a big open space could be not the best for something like this i guess you want something you can hide behind you want to break the sight lines a little bit so you can surprise people?
2: Absolutely. Uh, We try to play um, or at least set the boundary ahead of time, probably to no bigger than uh, half a soccer field. Um, Just so like the way I see it is uh, the interactions are almost like uh, molecules in a chamber. Um, And the smaller the chamber, the higher the pressure. So the pressure is equivalent to the interactions you have. So if you have a very large chamber that's low pressure, then you're not really having too much engagement between yeah, the players. Just to so if you confine in the them, yeah, it works out a lot better. And then just having some texture, you know, trees or objects, so you can kind of loop behind and, and pop out. That makes it very
1: interesting. So where have the most successful matches taken place?
2: Uh, honestly, it's really just been me and my buddies here. Uh, mm-hmm. We we just kind of go to uh, an empty parking lot. Um, and you you do need an open space, especially for new players that haven't been like so tuned to maneuvering in tight corners. Mm. Um, so you want to give them places to like you know just punch out and go high. Um, right. Yeah. So actually, open space tends to be the most uh, forgiving because yes, it might seem nice to have a lot of texture and things to go through, but if you're if the worst player out of your your group ends up just crashing and being out for most of the game. Then you actually kind of lost yeah, the engagement. The
1: one. Right. Yeah. And do you always play on five inch? You showed us a four inch kind of lighter quad. There is that yeah. more suitable, do you think?
2: Well, I think um, five inch is the most common, so that's what we designed the the three D print files for. Um, but ideally, I want to make a just a ready to fly that is mm. completely you know integrated. Then you can just buy a whole bunch of these. Um, and and start playing. Because the thing is, when you start strapping this onto other people's equipment, even though we try to make it low friction, everyone's equipment is still different. So there's a lot of yeah. finagling happening right at the field versus if I had all of these ready to go, here's one, here's one, here's one, just sit down and fly. It's a lot easier.
1: So, what what's the smallest quad you've flown it on then? What, what do you think is the ideal kind of park flight? The
2: smallest, I, well, the smallest is not the the most ideal just because of the payload. Uh, it becomes pretty yeah. heavy. I've done it on a A85, I think, um, as oh, an wow. iFlight HD. Tiny. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very, you know, just slow and wobbly. But that means yeah. other people need to be but, flying the same things.
1: Hmm. But I suppose if you've got uh, ducts on it, that's even better for beginners because they can sure. just bounce off stuff without mangling the props. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think, you know, if it's for a general audience um, playing this in stable mode, maybe even indoors, um, but everything's slow, super slow and mellow, that might be a, a much more engaging game.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So someone's here's mentioned these. I've got this image of doing it in Redwoods and having the epic Star Wars music in the background, you know, the classic totally. speeder bike scene, of course. Totally. Um, could you kind of encourage people to, to flow around a track and do a circuit while they're doing this? We've done it before, yeah.
2: yeah. Actually, uh, uh, Johnny Five has done that uh, with his squad. So, um, yeah, you, so imagine this. If you're doing a regular race, you're still trying to win the race by being the fastest around uh, the laps. But we're going to add an additional challenge where you have to be alive. So that means you can't lose all your your lights. So imagine uh, if you're taking the lead, you're actually also the most vulnerable because somebody can yeah. get you from
1: behind. Exactly. So now there's some that strategy was. of
2: yeah, who can cross
1: the gate and still keep all their lives. You got to hang back and then shoot the guy in the lead and snatch victory yeah. at the last second.
2: Certainly, that could that can happen. Yeah.
1: Excellent. So uh, Matteo of FPV Combats saying he's still trying to figure out how different FPV pilots could join the same experience. And and he's thinking about both drones and fixed wing pilots yeah. fighting together, which are two totally different craft. A lot of fixed wing yeah. craft can easily top 100 mile an hour. They've got the right. speed, but the turning circle is gigantic. Um, whereas drones, a bit more like flying gun turrets than yeah, fixed I- wing
2: I see um, like in my imagination, my wildest imagination, I could see all different classes of drones or even tanks or things on air, on the ground, fighting each other in this epic battle. Um, In order to do that in real life, it's very difficult to coordinate that many people. So one of the experiments I I started doing last year, and this is just purely to see maybe this is a better way to get people to adopt it, is actually using simulators. So actually uh, building an environment in sim building the vehicles in sim, and then allowing the tagging to happen in sim to actually simulate, hey, is this even a good game before I try it in the wor- yeah. real world and build it into a bunch of hardware.
1: So you could understand like how the beam widths and the emitter strength play off against each other when you're going exactly. fixed wing versus drones.
2: And, and just testing game balance and game mechanics, it's way better to do that in sim than put it into real life. And you have to call up your sure. buddies, make sure they're all charged, you got to manage them, and they got to get out there at the same time. Like. There's a whole bunch of real-world you things. You're going to tell them that, right, to
1: all yeah. flash a specific firmware version before they yeah. get there? <laughs> Pretty
2: much, there. yeah. <laughs> all of this stuff, right? It's it, Yeah, it's, it's like herding cats, right? So mm-hmm. uh, putting it into a sim is a much easier controlled environment where you can actually do the real tests for the gameplay.
1: That's a good idea. So uh, speaking of that, is the sim uh, an open effort? Do you want to try and invite more people to participate? I would love people to come help me.
2: So here's the thing. Just... Like anybody who wants to work on this, I'm happy to just share with you my current progress on that. Like I can even open source that if people want to do it. I've approached existing sim companies. Uh, We had some talks, but it never really led to anything. Um, But hey, like, you know, between uh, me, Mateo and Alex Grieve, like us three, we really want to see this thing happen.
1: We do know a guy who has a sim with both quads and fixed wing, but he decided right. he didn't want to come on today, perhaps feeling okay. threatened. That, that the quad versus fixed wing combat market was going to bl- blow up and be taken away from him, but we should have a <laughs> word with Curry about that oh, and, and see if he's interested. He's got a sim where you can have planes and quads yeah, uh, and cars in fact, but uh, currently they can't shoot each other. Maybe, right, right. Maybe that's a feature hmm. we can ask him about.
2: We want to approach whoever is willing to spend the time and effort to develop it. Um because we, we're finding like currently our efforts is not always in alignment with other software developers' pipelines. Uh so if that doesn't line up, then you know, and we're not professional in developing sims, um, it's just hard to make it come together. But whoever's yeah. watching this, hey, if you guys want to help us, that would be a, a fantastic effort.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think uh you should go back on Riot and make a, a, a better impression. <laughs> once you get once you get the stack done so
2: there is um i think that's possible it is a challenge because the first time we did it that was a novelty so rotor riot wanted to push it the second time it's a product so now we're Mm -hmm. kind of like a sponsor you know so it's a little bit of a different relationship right um it we need them to want to do it it has to be a thing that people are asking for for it to be good content
1: well, if you can integrate with like MSP display boards or something, that would play well to their new walk snail thing. You could do, yeah, certainly. You'll be talking co-promotion before you know about it. Yeah,
2: that that would work out really well. Yeah,
1: it's interesting from the audience point of view as well because that first one looked almost like a a basic Tamagotchi strapped in front of the quad, yeah. and then you had like a clearly a, a custom designed thing with the array of LEDs. And going from that to native OSD would would be interesting to really show the the evolution of the product.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I even wonder, I I don't know if it's supported now, but can we add color to OSD?
1: I think it's, uh, the the font sets can actually be colored, yeah. Okay. So, well, certainly on the DJI MSP, you can choose what color you want the font. It's RGBA with the alpha channel for transparency. So you could do... Within a font set, you could have some things different colors to others, but people just don't, I guess, because it would look uh, distracting, perhaps.
2: Okay, well, that's promising. I, I think multicolors for a game application is definitely needed.
1: And there's definitely a couple of spaces. If you look at the Betaflight font, there's some, there's multiple blank characters, okay. and there's the Betaflight logo, which, while nice to have, isn't strictly necessary. And so there's. There's stuff you could overwrite to put your own like, glyphs in there if you wanted okay. to do so, I think.
2: Yeah, And I think the, the use paradigm is different because in your current OSD, it's much more of a peripheral piece of information. So they don't want to be distracting you from your actual flight. But when you're making it a game, you're going to be looking at that and monitoring it a lot more. So having it highlighted with some UI design might be necessary.
1: That's interesting. I think there's definitely a way to pursue this with the FPV WTF project Mm -hmm. because they expose so much of the innards of the OSD and uh, changing font files is as simple as swapping a file on the DJI goggles. Mm -hmm. And they're all just in there as a raw bitmap. I checked out the format because I was annoyed and wanted to see kind of how I could... Make the font a bit more readable because it's just super blocky and chunky. Yeah. And it turns out all the characters are rendered just in a a vertical ribbon, one after the other. Interesting. Yeah. And they're they're just pure a grid bitmap image in a vertical ribbon. I think you can look at the uh, the way it's assembled. Okay. So you could probably draw your own if you really wanted to. Yeah, that's a good
2: hint. Okay. I'll take a look at that when I get there.
1: So um, if people want to try a Z-Tag, where should they go? How can they get involved? How could they find someone to have a game with?
2: Well, um, to, to buy it, you can go to roto They have stock. Um, you could go to our website, although we've kind of taken it down from mainstream because uh, we're mostly pushing the human game. Um, but our website is drones.ztag.com. Uh, whereas if you just go to ztag.com, that's our, our human game.
1: Um, but Rotorite a... would probably be the best distributor of it. There's still a buy now link. Is that?
2: Yeah, I, I disabled it because it was charging me money and we weren't actually selling stuff. So I'd rather oh. you guys just get it.
1: yeah, okay. just go to Rotorite and get it. Okay, you need to sort out your uh, your shop hosting then. Yeah, yeah, bit? exactly. Someone's trying nickel and dime you for keeping things. Yeah. On, or or on sale. can
0: they message you and just pay you direct by? Uh,
2: probably. Yeah, go to uh, yeah drones.ztag.com has. Hmm all the details, but purchasing, yeah, send us an email and then we could probably do it uh, off of the website.
1: I see you have uh, the STL files as well, so people mm-hmm. could could actually tweak that and size it to fit their quad. Yeah. That's nice.
2: Oh, oh uh, the Z tags, the agricultural, yeah, like Z tag I think is actually um, used in uh, agriculture for like tagging cow ears, so they, they, they mark who the <laughs> cow belongs to, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's not that it's not, not that like <laughs> yeah not but we, we
2: do have the trademark for a ZTAG
1: <laughs> uh, I see it runs off five volt as well so it says 2 s to 6s but it can run off five yes yeah so if someone has one of these little quads where they've got uh, a five volt out for run cam thumb or something then they can yeah. probably just clap that on as well
2: yeah the the only consideration for five volts is you probably don't want to have too many external leds after this uh, so we we have a port that allows you to put additional pixels onto it up to 30 pixels um mm. but that's taking the load from the board which is taking the load from
1: the you know the input yeah. power
2: so if you it, yeah if you draw too much current
1: you might burn out your board so don't try and pimp your quad yeah if you exactly. do it on the five volt rail okay
0: is, is there is there a solution for analog scumbags like myself <laughs>
2: You you can do it. It just won't be a good experience. Uh, my experience with that is you can't really tell the color difference, especially at a distance between the different quads. So you just don't know whose team you're on, um, and also it's hard to uh, differentiate. Um, like I, I guess yeah, it's just super low quality video. It doesn't make for a good experience. Um,
1: but in you can that situation, mode. If you didn't have that? to worry about team colors, you could just play free. For
2: Death all. match could work. Um, but also, no. The the challenge is
0: you want to see the other quad.
2: you want to see the other quad from a pretty far distance, and analog is just really not good at doing that. Um, that's why HD has been like kind of our requirement since day one. I've tried it. I, I've tried putting this on, you know, just a, a a tiny hawk at home, and then when I pulled this away, maybe like five meters away, it was already really a challenge to see something else.
1: Interesting. Well, I guess FBV Combat's got the analog side covered. They've got the full mm-hmm. analog OSD as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, he, he has a great product. Uh, it It's a slightly different market and the gameplay is quite different, too, because you're designed to hit from a very far distance on another fixed wing uh, versus ours is much more closer in proximity.
1: So there's this um, joining forces statement that you've got with uh, mm-hmm. FBV Combat and video aerial systems as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you Yeah. uh,
2: So I I think um, in order for us to move this forward, I really believe that people who are actually pushing the technology need to come together and work on uh, a unifying theory behind it, um, because that will give us more influence on the design decisions and also consider all the potential applications that could fit in under this umbrella. you know, we're, we're kind of doing each our own thing, but we have similar interests. And so if we can combine as one, and also, um, like, uh, I, I believe the, the, the brand Z tag is pretty strong. It's something like as a, as a marketing vehicle, it's easy to share that with people and have them come to a single brand with a four .com, Right. So once you have that, uh, we can approach people and say, Hey, look, everyone in the space is already adopting this standard. Do you want to add this to your thing versus, oh, you know, just one random company is asking you to add a feature, like who's going to listen to us?
1: Right. I should point out, I guess, that uh, video aerial systems also have, it uh, looks like they've got some patent on it mm-hmm. and they've got an ACE combat system, which right. um, we haven't featured, but appears to be broadly similar to FPV combat. Um, yes. and. Analog system. So
2: analysis. Alex Greve owns the U.S. patent for um, basically a laser tag system where once you get hit, it affects your servo controls or some kind of controls to your vehicle. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So he and
1: doesn't have OSD then. He's just he doesn't a have
2: OSD, um, but his his basic patent is saying you know once you get hit, affect the mechanics of your of your vehicle. Right. Uh, so, so that that's a key component. Um, our product actually uh, doesn't infringe on that patent because it's an external product and it's strapped on. It has nothing to do with the actual flight characteristics, but we all see each other having really beneficial technologies that should be combined into an overall unified system.
1: Yeah. If you take all three small communities, you've got one bigger community. Exactly. Put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice idea.
2: Yeah. I've actually spent quite a bit of time with Alex. Uh, So we, uh, uh, he hosted me at, uh, a flight fest, uh, out in Ohio. Um, so I, I uh, me and my son went, went there, had a lot of fun. We were sleeping in his camper. So we got a lot of time to chat and talk about, you know, the
1: future of this thing. It looks like you talked about a, a virtual ball that can be passed between people. Mm-hmm. So like, yes. is that going to be capture the flag?
2: It, it can be. Like it's that. basically the, the, uh, the essential elements of capture the flag. And this is something that. Um, came to me during testing. So, you know, you you guys were talking about uh, being spectator friendly, you know, seeing the score. Well, at the end of the day, if you just have a bunch of random quads flying around and tagging, it just looks like a bunch of uh, like gnats, like chasing each other, It, it doesn't really tell a story or have anything for you to follow. But if you look at what is fundamentally spectatable for both the players and the spectators, you have to have a center of focus. And that's essentially the foundation of any ball sport. The reason why you have a ball, a physical ball is everybody's eye is paying attention to that one central object. And so by having this virtual ball instance, you're allowed to have the center of focus from both the spectator and the players talking about the same thing. Um, And and that also makes it a a better, uh, uh, it makes it better content for you to live stream Right? If you have random objects just flying around, who's gonna commentate on that? But right, if you have if a single no
1: narrative that, that you can talk about but exactly you've got a quad a has taken the ball from quad B and right. quad C's taken the ball and he's over the line and he passed to D and D crashed yeah. and C's got it back and suddenly you've got something you can talk about. yeah, I see you
2: know we we can basically create rocket League in real life with drones.
1: That's a cool idea. yeah. so the you wouldn't see the ball. But there would be some kind of LED or marker on the quad right. that's going to say this quad has the ball. Exactly. Exactly. OK. And you get the ball off by shooting that quad? or by Yeah, getting you, the you tag the that way. ball.
2: So if you're uh, if you have the ball, you're flashing. Everybody sees you're flashing. Your opponent gets behind you and tags the ball out of you. So you stop flashing right. and your opponent starts flashing. But your opponent, he can actually pass to his teammate by shooting behind his teammate and the ball will pass forward.
1: So that could lead to some really interesting dogfighting yeah. as well. Absolutely. When someone's you shot, the, the incentive would be to immediately like flip back and try and immediately get behind yeah. the person yeah. who shot them. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I really want to see that happen in real life once we have some pilots who get used to how to fly it. Yeah. And imagine putting that on a live stream on a two versus two and you got you know red team on top blue yeah. team on the bottom and you can see where the ball is uh
1: is being passed you and you much, might have much like more a cooperation little... as well like you you'd literally mm-hmm. have a wingman and if you got shot then your wingman would dive in and shoot the guy that shot you and things like that that'd be totally kind of cool totally. yeah very nice very nice
2: yeah and, and that's actually why I, did, I started developing the sim because In order to get people to jump in the waters with us, I think it has to be so simple they could just download it and see, do I even like playing this in this format? And if they do, um, then maybe it's time for them to actually buy the hardware to make it happen.
1: Cool, cool. I I noticed there's been a a trend of trying to get the HD0 system onto smaller and smaller quads. Uh, There's now, I think, the second or third bind and fly with HD0, like a whoop, They've gone okay. down to sixty-five mil, seventy-five mil. So that's amazing. Yeah, this this could be an adaptation that comes to uh, to Whoops as well. That that's
2: really promising. Do you know if they're using MSP?
1: Uh, it's an HD Zero system, so yeah, that that's MSP okay. DisplayPort. So
2: if if that's the case, and and we can figure out the serial with our OSD. Then yeah, if it supports it, that would be an amazing experience indoors.
1: Yeah, yeah, very kid friendly, very. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy on little fingers and things. You don't want Absolutely. them flying five yeah. inches around necessarily. Yeah, totally cool. I am
2: curious. What kind of features would you guys like to see? Like, what would be the most important thing for you guys to to see to make this work?
0: Hmm.
1: I Time. think having having seen like four up race systems where you can see people's feeds in a race, having something like that where you could scoreboard it in real time, that would be really cool. And then I can see the same crowd that goes to races wanting to have a batch of this in between a race, for example, Hmm. and just get a few people on the racetrack going crazy, shooting at each other, running through gates and things.
0: Hmm.
2: Are they doing races with HD now? Is that common?
1: HD Zero has a a race system uh, because DJI pretty much doesn't work well for racing because it doesn't hit the lap timers accurately sure. but hd zero released a tuner board which is four tuners in one that lets you do a four up on four okay. video feeds from hd zero um, and i think that seems to be gaining popularity
2: very cool yeah i i yeah. could totally see uh, even just like a race specific osd uh that that can give you the lap timers you're talking about
0: yeah yeah um, my my only request is because I'm uh, tr- it, it's a truly demented request because uh, I'm I'm big Resident Evil fan. Like no, okay. Resident Evil one, two, three, four's all right. Um, after that, nah. But uh, I would love a blood squib to like blow in your camera, you know, oh, that fake, yeah. fake blood, to, you know, just gore it right up.
2: Oh, we can block your feet if you get shot too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Like you know, you can no longer read when you're infected. Yeah. All your, all your characters are messed up. Oh, that would be you cool. Right? Or, or or squids on uh,
1: squids on the actual pilot.
0: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> just.
1: Uh, I think they were talking about electrocuting the pilot last time with FPV combat. They're like, "And we'll just oh. give the pilot a small shock." <laughs> fine. So- that
2: that score reader i had that i repurposed this on mm. so if you have this on your arm it has a motor inside so every time you register a tag you can feel it too
1: oh that's a nice oh, nice so that
0: Is was it like phone... an offset um spinning motor yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's like
2: a, a yeah just one of those like a a phone vibrator. Phone, it yeah. yeah
0: you should put like a small um worm gear motor that tightens the uh strap right <laughs> there until your arms fall off. <laughs> well, no, not it's not like a cave. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, any any questions, any um suggestions or feature requests in the chat? Yeah, uh, yeah, just let us know. We're um we're competing right now with um uh Team Failsafe podcast. They're uh they
1: oh, they're, they're streaming Bennett.
0: as well. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a lot of our regulars over there. So, Boo. yeah. I know, so we'll... I'm surprised
1: Failsafe the... has any quads left. I think he, he's flying around concrete ruins in Croatia somewhere and seems to have smashed a couple of them into quite small pieces.
2: We should do it together then.
1: Yeah, I'll have to have a work with Failsafe, get him on the show after his little adventure. We've got um, FPV Drone Fest coming up for people in the UK as well. Just a couple of weeks till that. So grab your tickets for that, um, be meeting up with most of the LDO crew, and also uh, Failsafe and company will be there as well. So it promises to be uh, a great time, lots of yeah opportunity to meet people IRL. Yeah, and we've got our seven-year
0: anniversary on the 17th, I believe. Oh, yeah so yeah we've been going for a very long time obviously we didn't start with like flying insects in
1: 2003. you are going to have like... to tell us more about the flying insects sometime that sounds fascinating
2: yeah i'll send you some links uh it, it's amazing like i think five years ago they got it to take off finally untethered because normally the, the battery was actually one of the biggest things that, uh, they didn't want to deal with the, the payload so they just had like tiny little gold wires hang off of it so it could fly on it more own bond
0: head. wires What's that? Bond
2: wires. I think so. It might have been um, just really that's tiny wires because they, they wanted to decouple the power system from the flight system. So they got the flight system working. And then what got them on the nature of magazine cover was they basically put tiny little solar panels on the bottom and they blasted it with the wow. equivalent of three suns worth of energy on that surface mm-hmm. just to get it to take off.
1: Oh, yeah, that's cool a very cool little device. I, I'm fascinated by ornithopters. I own a, a bunch of quads, and I've always wanted to own an ornithopter. But most of them yeah. look like ugly pigeons. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting yeah. for when we can get a real nice ornithopter. I like the. Uh, did you ever see? It was
0: an old RC groups thread, um, but some guy built a. You could you used to be able to get like this realistic looking bird foamy and he made it in such a way that it looked like an actual seagull and um he was out flying it and other seagulls would attack it oh wow (laughs) but like part i i remember i wish i could find the it was an old thread that me and Dan Upton is a guy I haven't mentioned on the podcast for ages about but we were just like man if we had that we would get it to like poop on people you know get <laughs> mayo just you know just like surreptitiously well, it's, it's, it's harder
2: than you think to aim well and hit someone this
0: thing to be crammed with mayo like, you know, the you're
2: going like <laughs> to need a really good targeting system you'll probably need FPV or something like Doing a line of flight, um, quick tangent. But when we were at Flight Fest, you know, they every two hours they send like two hundred fixed wings up in the sky and just ram each other. Oh yeah, the FPV
0: combat. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So they they do that, but like it's surprisingly hard to get two vehicles to actually collide midair,
0: right? So if 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 it's just you and your mate, and you have two planes and that's it, they they magnetically but as soon as you get to anything more like three or five, and yeah. you're deliberately trying to hit each other, yeah. it all, all of a sudden becomes impossible.
2: Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. But just aiming in general, because you don't have that sense of depth, uh, is, is very hard. Yeah. So
0: if you want to poop on people, <laughs> that
2: that's a non-trivial challenge. Well, they, I
1: I think so you could do a strafing run, and you just start yeah dropping mayonnaise, a yeah that, of it and you just <laughs> basically line it up, you know, left right, and you just go over someone's head. Yeah, that. the
0: the idea would be to strafing do a run. beach run along the beach and just like just crop dust in such <laughs> yeah, a manner, yeah. like uh, a, a, a a sort of like bombing run, but then you know, I, I was thinking like. You know, will we get in trouble? You know, if someone's allergic to it, <laughs> you know, like, should we use egg-free mayonnaise? Is a lot it...
2: of 21st <laughs> century considerations. Yeah,
0: yeah but really. then they stopped making that realistic, like, yeah. um, model.
2: you got to be Sorry, dropping free organic mayo. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I followed a, a thread, a, another really long one, nasty groups. There was a guy in Japan who, who was building just tons of handmade ornithopters. And he got them looking pretty good, but they were kind of eagle-sized things. I really wanted one, but such a lot well. You of know, when
2: when you have stuff in that scale, that flies completely different from a micro flying insect. All oh, right.
1: Yeah, because when yeah. They,
2: when they were testing for bees, they're like initially these should not actually fly according to mm-hmm. traditional aerodynamics. Like, why is it able to fly? And the, the Reynolds numbers are very different um, when they're
1: at that scale. I think I saw um, a note in the article you sent over saying that they increased the thrust by uh, upping the wing speed from 170 hertz to 270 hertz. So mm-hmm. the thing's going 270 times a second. Yeah. That's yeah. just it's, crazy.
2: Yeah, very different. You're not using Bernoulli's principle to to keep it afloat anymore. Um, it, it, they, they've done a scaled model with the same Reynolds number, which is like essentially the... Um, so Bernoulli's
1: principle is that... There is kind of a skin of air over an aerofoil surface right right
2: and, and in this one it's more like um the, the wing is so uh, well the air at that point when they're so small the air has so much inertia compared to the actual wing that mm. it's more like swimming through molasses
1: and so, so you one of those kids ball pits
2: yeah exactly so the wing actually comes in with like a 45 degree angle of attack flip over as quickly as possible and sweep back with another inverse 45 but even that sweep generates vortices that actually generates additional lift on the subsequent uh, wing beat
1: that's crazy well well if you ever decide to follow up on uh, flying robot insects i think we've got another show in the offing there
2: certainly i wouldn't be the expert but i might be able to find someone to come in for that
1: (laughs) yeah yeah let us know shoot us an email
0: we would yeah like we'd love to learn about that man
2: yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the precursors to modern day drones, because, um, you know, back then, a lot of this came from uh, a military research for a search and rescue and reconnaissance. And uh, drones at the time probably were still on the order of like hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop because the sensors mm-hmm. weren't available. You didn't have the accelerometers with that kind of you know high response rate, uh, digital, your, um, uh, your uh, your processors weren't even that fast to do the control loop.
1: Yeah. So you had to rely on auto-stabilizing wing devices.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a lot of different industries pushed the boundaries of their technology to enable uh, modern-age drone flight.
1: Very interesting. Well, we we delve into the history of drones fairly regularly here, and I'm sure when Jack's feeling in, good form again, we'll maybe get Frank and others on and we'll go back over exactly why we ended up with quads the way we are today. And we'll ask the question once again, wasn't it all better when people were taking apart their Wii remotes and using Arduino's? Yeah, I know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and using plain parts, I mean, I remember I had to, I had to push the um, shaft through the Outrunners in order to have the props on top.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Fact, that's the level of insanity that I had to go through. Um, right. That is unfortunately all we've got time for. Um, like, thank you, Kwan, for being a guest on our show. I, I, you've been absolutely that's fantastic. Terrific. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank and, you so much. Uh, I wish you all the best in your human Z tag <laughs> quest. And I hope that goes well. And then we can kind of, you know, get, get the quad side of stuff up and really sort of like have fun with that. Um, oh, sure you know, yeah.
2: yeah. I really look forward to that.
0: Yeah. And, um, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Steven for like keeping LDO going and, Finding loads of guests. He, you've been working so hard behind the scenes,
1: man. Thank you. Uh, working hard or hardly working? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for Quan for coming on the show. Great to hear from you.
0: Happy to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to Lecture Now. It's been supported by our lovely Patreon, so that we are completely impartial. We can say what we want. Um, you know, and everyone who tunes in, thank you guys. Uh, our host tonight has been Stephen. Cheers. I've been sat in the corner, bright to the fly,
1: and our guest get from well, Z-Tag. Jack. Everyone's been wishing uh, Jack well, so get well, Jack, and I uh, hope you feel better.
0: Thank you. Got a doctor's appointment first thing in the morning. And uh, thank you for coming on, Quan, uh, from Z-Tag.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Cheers. Thank you, guys. Good night.
1: Telemetry lost.